A lot of great stuff that was had. And this Sunday, we're kind of back to normal. So uh, glad you all are here. That means we're also uh, jumping back into our teaching series uh, that we were in this past fall. And so we're heading back into the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, this teaching series, we were titling uh, Seeing Reality, Christ, His Church, and the Cosmos. And let me give you a little reminder. It's been a while since we've been uh, back in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians really is split into two parts. is the first half of the book and the second half of the book. And the first half of the book is all about explaining how we see reality properly. So we've kind of used this image of a set of glasses kind of as a reminder of what the book of Ephesians is for us. It's a set of glasses, lenses, by which we can see reality rightly. Uh, we can see Jesus for who He really is. And Ephesians gives us this big, grand picture of Jesus having been raised uh, and seated in the heavenlies and ruling over all. We don't naturally see that. And Ephesians, Ephesians helps us to see that. It gives us an accurate view of the church, the people of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who you are. That Ephesians tells us that we have been raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenlies. I didn't wake up this morning thinking like that. That doesn't come naturally. Ephesians helps us to see that. And then it helps us to see this whole cosmos, the whole world, the whole universe. We're told that, that all things will be brought to a unity, to a wholeness in Jesus Christ. That He is the center and source of everything, and one day will restore all. We don't naturally see that. We see the brokenness and the problems of this world. And Ephesians helps us to see rightly about Christ, His church, and the cosmos. And then we come to the second half of the book. And we just began it at the, at the, before the Advent break. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 is the hinge verse where Paul writes, Therefore, meaning in light of everything I wrote in the beginning of the letter, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul essentially is saying, you know, I've given you a set of lenses by which to see reality in the first half of my letter. Now walk accordingly. Don't keep your eyes closed, but walk in this new life. Walk according to the new, the new reality that you know in Jesus Christ. So we're going to begin to unpack what that means today. And our key text is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And I'll read this for us, pray, and we'll get going. Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you're a God who gives sight to the blind. Uh, Jesus, when you walked on earth, uh, we have many accounts of you doing just that. 
uh, restoring sight for people. But Lord, we know you do this in more ways than our physical eyes. Lord, you give us uh, the ability to see as you see, and we thank you for that. And God, I pray this morning that you would continue to open up our eyes to see you rightly, to see ourselves rightly, this whole world. And God, as you open our eyes to what is true, I pray that you'd help us to live according to what we see. God, give us the power uh, to live uh, as Christ is, is saving us to live. So please use this time this morning uh, to conform us more to your image and likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to consider uh, three different uh, questions in this text this morning. Uh, the first one is simply going to be, uh, what are believers to do? What, what's the call of this passage? We're going to move on after that and consider the question, why? Well, what's the reason we're to live this way? And then third, how? How do we live according to this reality? But first, let's ask the question, what? Now, what's the call? What are believers in Jesus to do, according to Paul here? Well, in Ephesians 4, 17, right at the very beginning of this passage, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. See, he's starting by telling us what not to do. Now, the rest of Ephesians, he'll get a lot more into what we are to do. But he begins by saying how we're not to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, now, he says here, the way that we're not to live is as the Gentiles do. So let's unpack that a little bit here. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the Scriptures, you know that in the Old Testament, God had given the Israelite people His covenant, His law. He had set them apart to be a distinct people in the earth. And He blessed them. And they were to, in turn, be a blessing to everyone else. But they were His people in His covenant. So there was really two basic people groups on earth. There were those in the covenant, Jews, and those outside the covenant, Gentiles. Now, um, unfortunately, uh, the way the old covenant people of God viewed this privilege was fairly inward focused. Instead of being a light to the nations, drawing people toward Christ, they tended to treat this as a means of superiority. And Paul already addressed that in the first half of Ephesians. He said, in Jesus Christ, there's now no longer insiders and outsiders in terms of ethnicity. That there's one people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul is talking about Gentiles here, he's not talking ethnically. He's not saying, you know, you need to be more Jewish. He's using Gentile here as a way of talking about those who are outside of the covenant of God. Those who don't know God, don't know His ways, are not seeking to live life according to His instructions. So Gentiles is kind of Paul's code word here for talking about those outside of God's covenant. And so he's writing to Jews and Gentiles alike who now put their faith in Jesus Christ, and he's saying, don't live anymore as though you don't know Jesus and don't know His ways. And so what does it mean here uh, to live as a Gentile? How is he telling us not to live? There's three ways in particular we see in this passage Paul telling us not to live as a Gentile. First, he describes how Gentiles live with darkened minds. Verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, don't misunderstand this. He's not calling people who don't know Jesus stupid. He's not saying that no one who uh, doesn't feel that don't have faith in Jesus don't have the same level of intellectual understanding. There's a big difference here between knowledge and wisdom. 
And this is a theme that runs through scriptures. Proverbs is really big on it. Knowledge is about information. There are a lot of people in in this world who have a lot of information, are gaining knowledge. Thank God. Knowledge is a very, very good thing. Wisdom is something different altogether. Wisdom is the bigger picture. Wisdom answers the question, unto what end? All of this knowledge is useful unto what end? As we study uh, science, math, history, unto what end are we learning all this? What purpose does it serve? And what Paul is unpacking in Ephesians is that the larger purpose that everything serves is Christ uniting all things in heaven and on earth. That the goal of all history is the unity that Christ will bring. And if you don't have that understanding, that larger purpose knowledge, then all the information that we gain ultimately doesn't serve the greatest purpose. So Paul is saying that Gentiles are darkened in their understanding and that they don't know the purpose for all the information that we learn. There's something larger going on in life, and it's answered in the person of Jesus. And so Paul is saying to Christians, don't live as though you didn't know the bigger purpose. The bigger purpose for everything that we are learning and all the work that we are doing. So first, uh, Gentiles live with darkened minds. Paul says, that's not the way to live. Secondly, uh, Paul describes how Gentiles live with hardened hearts. Again, in verse 18, Paul talks about that the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them, due to their hardness of heart. Now, it's one thing to have uh, a lack of wisdom, a lack of true understanding, because that can be remedied as you are enlightened, as you begin to know more. But a hardness of heart can say, Not just I don't know, but I don't want to know. It's a whole different thing altogether. Now, um, don't confuse a hardened heart merely with a person who isn't a Christian and you may call an atheist, someone who says, I don't even want the reality of God in my life. See, Paul's writing to Christians here. He's writing to people who do believe in God, and he's warning them about living with a hard heart. You see, it's quite possible to know about God, but not want God to be God in our lives. A theologian, D.A. Carson, actually calls sin the de-godding of God. I love that phrase, the de-godding of God, meaning, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't want God to be God in my life. I'll take that role. I'll decide what is right and good, how I will live. See, a hard heart means I don't want God to be God in my life. And Paul says, uh, that's the Gentile former way of life that we are called to turn from. We want God to be God in our lives because He is so good, and He's shown us His goodness on the cross. And so we learn to trust Him and invite Him to be God, not just of the world out there, but of our lives in here. Darkened minds, hardened hearts. And then lastly, in this uh, description of the Gentile life, It's sensual bodies. Let me explain this. Verse 19, Paul says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
See, sensuality has to do with our bodily senses, okay? Our bodies are good. God created us bodily. Our senses are good. God gave us senses, taste, touch, sight, smell. These are good gifts from God. But sensuality is when we make a good thing into a God thing. It's when our bodily senses become our God. When we live to serve our bodily desires. And this has happened throughout all the ages. It happens all the time today. It happens to all of us. Paul, in another letter to another church in Philippi, um, talks about this. He gives a warning, a call and a warning. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, he writes, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now uh, tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Now listen. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That phrase there, their God is their belly, it means their appetites. So not just food, not just stomach, but their appetites have become God. Whatever uh, the desire is bodily, we must serve it, rather than learning to have our bodies serve a larger desire. See, God has given us our bodies as good gifts to serve our whole person, and with our whole person, to love God and love others. And if we're going to love God and love others well, at times we have to say no to our bodily desires. But if we can't say no to our bodily desires, we can't love as God calls us to. So Paul is telling Christians, now that your mind has been enlightened to know the truth of Jesus, now that your heart has been made tender by the gospel of Jesus, now that your bodies have been indwelt by the spirit of Jesus, don't live as if you had none of that. Don't live with darkened minds, hardened hearts, and bodies that must serve their own desires. Thankfully, Paul doesn't just tell us what to do, because if you stopped here, um, I think we all would feel bad, maybe feel like, well, we need to try harder, but maybe not know what to do. I mean, the truth of it is, if I look back at this past week, unfortunately, I see instances in my life where I lived with darkened mind, hardened heart, sensual body. I think if all of us, if we're honest, see ways that works out in all of our lives. Paul does not stop there. He first gives us a reason why we as believers in Jesus are not to live this way. He says in verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Isn't that a funny phrase? That's not the way you learned Christ? What does Paul mean by that? Why why, why does he say that phrase, learned Christ? I think this is interesting because it helps us understand the true nature of salvation and why we're no longer to live with darkened minds, hardened hearts and sensual bodies. See, Jesus' invitation is for us to learn to know Him and to learn to know His way of life. Jesus invites us, calls us to know Him, the person, and His way of life. Paul didn't say, um, that is not the way you learned the doctrine of Christ or even the message of Christ. He's talking about the person of Christ. That's not the way you learned 
Christ. This really is a very uh, rabbinic statement. And remember, Paul, you know, he, his upbringing, he's, he's a trained in Jewish thought. Matter of fact, you could almost consider Paul a rabbi in his teaching. And Paul is referencing how Jesus, to, to come to Jesus is to come to him as our rabbi. You're probably familiar with Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. Listen to this invitation and remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4.20. Jesus says to us, come to me. There's an invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Look at that invitation. First, we are invited to come to Jesus the person. Come to me, Jesus says. Not just come to my teaching, come to me. And we saw that in the ministry of Jesus, how relational it is. Uh, he, he forms a group of disciples, and they live life closely together. As he meets with people who are hurting, who are broken, who are sinful, he draws them to relationship. Salvation is, first of all, a relational reality. We are invited to the Jesus the person. Paul says, you didn't learn Christ, the person, through sinfulness. You learned Christ, the person, who was holy and righteous. So we're invited to a person. But secondly, in this Matthew passage, um, we not only see the invitation to come to Jesus, we see Jesus invite us to come to Him with our baggage. He says, all you who are labor and heavy laden, those who are weary, burdened, weighed down in life, with sin, with striving, trying to live better, with suffering, with hurt, with dark minds, with hard hearts, with sensual bodies, Jesus has come to me. Bring the baggage. See, Jesus doesn't say, get that all taken care of, then come to me. He says, come to me. With all of that, I'll take it. We sang about God's faithfulness this morning to take our sin on Himself. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He takes what weighs us down into himself that we might be relieved from it. But that's not all he invites us to. Not just to give him our baggage and then go and try harder. The last thing here he says, and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Now a yoke, uh, those of you that may have an agricultural background are familiar with what oxen wear, when a couple oxen will put their heads in a yoke, they yoke up together and go out to the field to work. That, that's the picture here. But what we don't understand is how uh, rabbis used this phrase or used this concept. See, every rabbi of this day had what was called a yoke. It was their instruction. So every rabbi had their own instruction, their own teaching. Here's what God is telling us in His Word, and here's how we're to live based on it. And there were competing schools of thought among rabbis, about what the scriptures meant and how we were to live accordingly. And, and so you would accept the teaching of a rabbi, kind of like yoke up with them to learn from them how to live. You'd say, I'm in this with you. I, I trust you and your teaching. I want to learn from you how to live life. And Jesus is saying, I and I alone can actually give you the life for which you were made. So to become a disciple of Jesus is to accept his teaching to accept His yoke and to learn from Him 
how to live. So when Paul is saying um, that is not the way you learned Christ, he's pointing us back to this reality, that Jesus' invitation is to turn from our old way of living and to learn to know Him and His way of life. Uh, We didn't come to Christ because we didn't want to change. We came to Christ because we do. We come to Christ because we need help. We come to Christ because we need forgiveness. And so we come to Him with our baggage and say, help, I don't want this anymore. Teach me how to live differently. That's the invitation of Jesus. That's salvation. But unfortunately, Jesus' invitation often gets twisted. Much of Paul's writing is about correcting uh, wrong teaching, that the gospel message, the invitation of Jesus in every age gets twisted, sometimes diluted, sometimes added to. We're always going back and aligning ourselves to what the message of Jesus truly is. And it's no different in our day. The message of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, gets often twisted in our, in our day too. Unfortunately, one of the common ways the gospel message is twisted today is that we receive it primarily as an invitation to get into heaven after we die. If I know a certain set of doctrines, I can go to heaven after I die. And, and that's not untrue, but the gospel is so much more. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, an author and professor, in his book, The Great Omission, has a lengthy quote. I'm sorry, I'm going to read you a long quote here, okay? So hang with me. Dallas writes this. He says, faith in Christ has been separated from obedience to Him and living in His abundance. The necessary bridge is discipleship, a gospel of justification alone. And I'll pause here and define terms. Justification is the way by which we are made right with God. It is God saying to us who are sinful, you are now righteous because of Jesus Christ. That We are given Christ's merit. That's justification. A gospel of justification alone does not generate disciples. Discipleship is a life of learning from Jesus how to live in the kingdom of God, now as he himself did. Then he goes on a, little, a couple pages later and says, if we divide between justification and regeneration, I'll pause again, regeneration is how we are made alive. It's about new life coming into us. If we divide between justification and regeneration in such a way that the gospel is only believe Jesus died for your sins and you will go to heaven when you die. Then we are stuck with a theology that is inherently resistant to vital spirituality. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That statement is strictly true, but we have come to accept believe Jesus died for your sins in a way that does not involve believe Jesus in everything. The gospel is new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the Christian life isn't about continuing to live with dark minds, hard hearts, and sensual bodies, but somehow going to heaven later. That's not what we learned in Christ, and that's not salvation. Jesus is inviting us to something far more and far better. We're invited to learn to know Him and His way of life right now. So we we should not settle for a Christianity that's lesser. Uh, We've heard that we are are called to live no longer as the Gentiles do. We've heard why, that we didn't learn Christ that way. 
But the big question, the million-dollar question is, well, how? I mean, if you're like me, I want that. I want to follow Jesus more fully. I want to see growth in, in uh, my mind, in my hard heart, in how I live bodily. But how? Uh, Paul comes at the end of this passage to a section of his teaching that he repeats in a lot of his letters. So it's very crucial to call Paul's thinking in how we change. He says in Ephesians verse, chapter 4, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the practice. This is how believers can live the way that Christ calls us to live. It begins with the renewing of the mind. You see, dark minds lead to hard hearts in sin-addicted bodies. Renewed minds lead to tender hearts and restored bodies. It begins with the renewing of our minds. And we see this all throughout uh, the Scriptures. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then Paul said in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the mind is how we perceive and understand reality. We need to see what is true, beginning of Ephesians, right? We're beginning to have our mind renewed to what's actually true, to who Jesus actually is, to who we actually are, and to where this world is going. And we need that reality daily. We don't come to that understanding once and then are good for the rest of our lives. We need to daily have this renewal about what reality actually is. And then Paul kind of narrows in on a specific area that is needed for our renewal, and I would say daily. Paul says to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Put off the old self and put on the new self. And this is a loaded concept to put off the old and to put on the new. He's talking about our identity, that we all have an identity, an understanding of who we are. And the question is, how do we understand our identity? How do we see ourselves? What do we think is core to who we are? For many of us, our identity is built around our vocation. I'm of a, uh, maybe an engineer or a teacher or a nurse or a pastor. Our identity can easily get wrapped up around our vocation. Or maybe for, maybe for others, it's wrapped up around their marital or parenting status. I'm a husband, a father, uh, or a wife, or a mother. Or for others, maybe their identity is wrapped up around their moral performance. I'm a good person. Or I'm a failure. Or I'm an addict. For others, their identity is wrapped up around their sexuality, or around their race, or ethnicity, or nationality. We find all kinds of ways to build an identity in life, and we must find a way to build an identity. We can't live apart from an identity. So the question is, where do we get the identity that truly sets us free? Because all of those ways that I just listed, they're part of the old self, the old way of living. And Jesus offers us a new identity. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 28, he writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is not that um, through faith in Jesus, all of those other identities no longer exist. There are still ethnic and racialite realities. There are still issues of slavery in our world and freedom. There's still male and female. Those realities all still exist. But none of them is foundational for our identity in Christ. We could be in any of those camps and through faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden have a whole new reality, a whole new understanding of who we are and a whole new future. Um, You know, so many movies have as part of their plot line uh, the need to remember true identity. I'll remind you of a couple. I'm sure you can think of many more. Um, you know, probably for those of you that have uh, you know, grown up around the time that I did, or uh, you will remember The Lion King and Simba, right? Remember the deep voice of uh, his father, Mufasa, right? Remember Simba. Remember who you are. And there's this plot line here where Simba has run away from his responsibilities. There's shame. He leaves the land, tries to live a life apart from his true calling. And there's a call to come back and to remember who he truly is if he's going to accept this responsibility. Uh, Or maybe others of you more sci-fi oriented, uh, remember The Matrix. And you have in The Matrix this character uh, who we know to be Neo. And constantly throughout the movie as he's facing the bad guys, the agents, they remind him of his old name, Mr. Anderson. And this key juncture comes when he no longer believes that's his true name. He says, I'm Neo, and there's this big change, and he has this powerful uh, strengthening, and he overcomes the power of the enemy agent. And I think all of these movies speak to us about a very deep reality, that understanding our true reality, our true identity, is key for then living powerfully. That if we're going to understand uh, who we truly are, it leads us to be able to live as Christ Christ calls us to. We also must be regularly reminded and choose to believe our identity in Christ. See, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then there are some core things about your identity that have changed also. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a beloved son or daughter of God who is holy and blameless in God's sight, and an heir to all things with Jesus. We read about that at the beginning of Ephesians. And the question is, do we really believe it? And if we believe it, do we live in light of it? Now, um, this might be a little bit cheesy, but I'm going to ask you to do a, a kind of an experiment with me, all right? I'm going to ask you to actually say out loud what we see on the screen right here. So let's try this. Read with me, all right? In Jesus Christ, I am a beloved son of God who is holy and blameless in God's sight and an heir to all things with Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Now, I have you read that out loud because I'm going to encourage you uh, to remember it, to repeat it as you go about your week. See, we need this daily remembering of what actually is true, of who we actually are. As we go to our work, who I am 
is not primarily what I do in my work. That's part of what God's called me to, but it's not my core identity. I someday may change jobs, I may retire, um, but who I truly am is a child of God. Uh, I'm not my moral performance. If I have a really good week, I'm, I'm doing really well, I will tend to feel superior to others. If I have a bad week, I'll tend to feel inferior to others. But that's not who I truly am. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I've received His performance. You know, God looks at us as holy and blameless because of Jesus. And whether we have ample resources or limited resources, that's not our core identity. In Jesus Christ, we are heir to all things. That's the promise of Christ. So as we remind ourselves of what is true, it really does give us a new ability to live differently, to live from a place of confidence, of sufficiency, and trust. So as you are daily reminded in the spirit of your mind this week, you will learn to know Christ better, and you will, learn to, you will be empowered to live no longer uh, with dark minds, hard hearts, and sinful bodies, but instead will experience the rest of Jesus that He gives to all those who take on His yoke. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank You uh, for what You have given to us uh, in Your Son. Uh, thank You, Lord, for drawing us uh, into Him and, and in Him giving, giving us forgiveness, giving us right standing with You, making us to be part of Your family, uh, giving us uh, a new standing, giving us an ability to live differently, giving us a future beyond compare. God, I pray this week that you'd help us to remember what is true and to live according to what is true. So thank you uh, this morning for what you've shown us. Uh, Lord, please strengthen us in the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.